Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary.org hardcore podcast coming your way. Steve Schmee here and the mobster from across the pond in the Iron Dead. What's up, man? Today's moral tale is you, you have no excuses. And the subject of today's podcast is going to teach you why you have no excuses. So today we're going to be doing Justin Slates. And this is episode 178. So Justin Slates, admittedly, admittedly uh, you know, Mobster and I, we haven't heard much about this guy before. So some of these podcasts we do are some of the up-and-coming guys. Some of the podcasts we do are the more established guys. Some of the podcasts we do are historic guys, you know, back from the 70s. But this one is a good one to throw in here because it's a story of incredible motivation and incredible yeah. – pushing through some horrible things that go through uh, life. So he is an up and coming bodybuilder. He's overcome more in his young life than most people will deal with in many lifetimes. To be honest, he shouldn't be alive today. 100%. Man. Yep. He's beaten the odds of major medical problems during his childhood. It becomes someone to keep an eye on bodybuilding. Very impressive young man who speaks humbly about his life and doesn't live with any regrets. Current stats, five foot eight, a monstrous 265 pounds. And he's around 29 years old as of this podcast. So why don't we take a look at his life struggles, health problems, and we'll talk about steroid cycling. I'm going to jump in very quickly, Steve. Guys, if you check him out and check his videos out, the way that he tells the story, which we're going to get into, it's almost secondary. It's almost like, oh, you, 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 I've been told you want to hear this. That's the way it comes across because he's been there. It's kind of almost nothing to him. And that's going to be part of what we're going to get at in a little while when we talk about what needs to be done and how, you know, you're in the, the excuses people come out with. For Justin, it's almost just like a thing. You know, it's not really the big deal in his mind that it is for the rest of us looking at Justin, Steve. Yeah, we really are. And that's what the podcast is going to be. Yeah, my other podcast I do, the um, regular podcast I do over with Ricky V Rock, talk a lot about this type of stuff. Mobster doesn't have an opportunity. So this is going to be good um, if those of you who want to hear Mobster's opinion on, on this sort of thing. So he's definitely going to be um, giving you guys a lot of tips and advice on motivation and stuff in this mm -hmm. podcast. So bas basically, definitely keep an eye on that. So early yeah. life, though, uh, Slates is from Michigan, close to his father and mother growing up. He had a very modest background. He grew up in a boring, modest uh, Midwest town near Grand Rapids. His early life, though, was far from boring because of the many medical issues he had to go through. So, you know, let's start talking about cancer. Uh, six years old, he started having health problems. He would come down with flu-like symptoms all the time. His family insurance was not very good. His parents could only afford him to take him to the walk-in clinic. 
and the doctors there did not properly diagnose him. Those, you know, those walking clinic places, they have the worst doctors. I mean, those are the doctors that basically suck, you know, and they end up working at those clinics. And uh, that's how it is in the United States. I don't know if it's like that in Britain, but if you ever have a problem like this, you know, you're listening, you have kids, take them to a specialist. Do not take them to a freaking walk-in clinic because those are the worst doctors. Yeah, go ahead, Monster. I'm going to jump in here again, Steve. Funny enough, the story which I told you in the pre-show, which we'll, we'll address properly in a moment for myself personally, was that I was misdiagnosed. Uh, literally, the the symptoms that I was exhibiting for my particular medical condition when I was a child uh, were misdiagnosed as a virus doing arounds, and I ended up having to go see, I think it was four separate specialists all in the same day, uh, when I, I think the thing that stuck in my mind, being nine years of age, was I was hungry, but my mum was freaking the fuck out, and yeah, I had to go see all different, I think it was, they said it was TB, it was this, it was that, it was the other. So yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, guys, and this is a quick life lesson for you. If you're in that situation, if your medical insurance is like that, take your kid to the next hospital. Take your kid um, to the next place. Drive them that little bit further to the bigger hospital to get better care, because in, in, as, as we're gonna get into here specifically for Justin, and a little bit, and, and to a lesser degree for myself, it's important sometimes the parents' gut feeling that there's something more going on than meets the eye or what you've been told is sometimes correct. Sometimes it's not, but sometimes that's been adjusted. It is correct. And you have to make a better effort, find the bucks, whatever, and, and get the proper treatment. And as we can see, it probably saved his life, Steve. Yeah, and I, I had as well. When I was younger, I had stomach issues and... Um... I'd have to, you know, I'd be throwing up, throwing up, throwing up. So, you know, we went to the hospital. We had pretty, pretty good insurance. And, um, but we didn't have good medical care in my town. We, I lived in a, a small town and, you know, you're not going to have good doctors in a, in a small town like that. So to find a good doctor, you'd have to drive, you know, two, three hours away. Maybe, so yeah. um, that was a little too much though. So, um, you know, the hospital is close by where I'm going. So long story short, really, they never correctly diagnosed me, but they found other problems, but they never figured out what it was. I still don't know what it was, but I suspect now as an adult, because now I don't have gut issues, I suspect it had something to do with, um, you know, uh, foods that were causing issues in my stomach that were high FODMAP. So this is, this is why I avoid now as an adult garlic, onions, foods like that that really inflamed the gut. So, cause I suspect looking back, my mom would cook with a lot of garlic and also it could have been a gluten intolerance as well. So now as an adult, I just avoid high FODMAP foods. I avoid gluten and I don't have any problems as an adult, but I did growing up. So again, with parents and kids, the kids are at the mercy of what their parents are feeding them. And my parents, you know, were kept feeding me stuff that was causing issues in my gut. So that's, that's the frustrating part in those days. But now with the internet, podcasts like this, networking, we can diagnose things much easier because there's a lot better communication in, even in the medical industry. There's a lot better, obviously. Yes, yes. Back then, you know, back then, you know, um, you know, you didn't have that. So 
I think I think in his situation now, if he had gone to a doctor, they would have been able to figure out what was wrong with him. Yeah. So chime in that. that well, I'm just going to say work. very quickly, echoing what you just said, Steve. That's exactly right. Can you imagine both of us? I mean, we're not that old, right? But in terms of the technology and the information that's available now, just just here in the UK, the, the doctors can log into a system that is nationwide for just for the information for symptoms and they can literally over the telephone or if you're sitting in their office put your symptoms into this system it doesn't replace a doctor or an expert because those people are going to be better at those particular things but it means that the access to information is huge and to use the example that we've been both talking about with myself and yourself and to and, and obviously with justin because of the time scale probably around the same it's he could have gone to the local hospital, but talked to an expert at the next hospital, talked to an expert, uh, you know, two towns over, three cities over, whatever else, and talked to someone, you know, um, looking on the screen at the same time at scans and tests and whatever else, live, while the patient's there and with the other doctor on the other end. None of these things were possible. So this is a great advantage for technology now, uh, instant access to an expert across the world, someone on the other side of the planet. I mean, I know I've talked about, for example, and this applies to Justin, there's a degree of neurosurgery here where they're one of the neurosurgery guys basically operating on the brain. And um, you, can, you can be talking to a fellow in Italy. You could be talking to, to, a, to a specialist in Spain. Uh, you know, if my buddy in Spain is really good at this. I'm going to give him a shout and we'll get him on and webcam. So, yeah, the access to information now makes it a lot easier but back in the day it was literally in my case for example steve i think it was six hours and four visits to variety hospitals i, I don't remember much of the particular time because i was obviously ill but it was be from from i think something like 10 o'clock in the morning to about eight or nine o'clock at night from start to finish from being at the doctors ambulance called and going to these different hospitals and getting different tests and whatever else to being surrounded by a bunch of guys in white coats while well, I ate my jelly and ice cream about 10 o'clock at night, everybody else is asleep in hospital ward. And I mean, that would be a lot easier now. And I was at probably the best neurological hospital in the UK, fortunately, not a million miles from where I lived for myself. So for Justin, again, it's a situation, guys, I think the US more than the UK, but we <laughs> tend to follow the patterns. This is one of those ones where if you can afford to pay for better medical insurance, do. If your job allows for it, then then or it doesn't allow for good medical insurance, then maybe you need to change your job. It's one of those things that arguably is a huge pain in the ass and a massive bone of contention when it comes to the money. But it's worth going, you know, get yeah. a cheaper car. If you have kids, for sure. I mean, it's one yeah. thing for you to yes. go through something like you're this. You're responsible for yourself, exactly. But I mean, it, it, it kill me because, um, you know, if I have to go through something like this with my cat or a dog or something, it destroys oh, me. So I can't even imagine going through it with a kid. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you do your best with your kid, obviously. So in his situation, yeah, yeah. he got lucky, Mobster, because very lucky. he ended up going to a good children's hospital out of pocket. And those doctors immediately diagnosed him with leukemia. And what yeah. leukemia is, I actually growing up, I knew, knew some people who had leukemia as well. And leukemia is the most common cancer in children. And um, a lot of people didn't know that. 
And, uh, but it is, and what it is, it's a broad term for cancer of the blood cells. So the next day, literally the next day, they got him started on treatments, which lasted six years, really wow. four intense years of treatment and then two more years of treatment. So six years total. So from when he was six years old to 12 years old, he had to get treated for that. And that really, really sucks. So that's, that's about the worst thing that you could have as, as a child is having to go through that. So he did not have a normal childhood to say the least. So then the next thing that came up, Mopster, was seizures. Yeah. So over he had over 100 of them before he had to have surgery. So even one seizure a year is horrible and very oh, frustrating yeah, to go through. But imagine yeah, having yeah. to go through over 100. And part of the treatment for a seizure, for treating a seizure, is to induce a seizure. So during his event where they induced a seizure, he went four minutes without breathing. Then he spent three hours fighting the treatment and attacking a nurse. And afterwards, he says he did not even remember the episode, but he apologized to everyone. He didn't remember attacking the nurses and doctors. So he must have been like in a rage. So what happened was doctors had to remove two parts of his brain that were damaged, and that's called cranial surgery. So I'll jump back back in here. So my story, which I mentioned in the pre-shows, I had a blood clot on the brain when I was nine. Uh, We think I fell out. I was faffing around when my mum was chatting to a friend. The story goes, and I was swinging on a on a fence or something like that. And instead of whatever, I've fallen over backwards, hit my head against the fence, and there was no bruise. I should have had a, 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 a lump the size of an egg. And so obviously the damage had been internal, not external. And some months later, I started having headaches, vomiting, uh, nausea. Uh, my vision started to go. I couldn't walk straight and so on and so forth. So I ended up in hospital. My dad was uh, working away at the time. My mum was freaking the fuck out. And yeah, I mean, you know, I can't remember that apparently stuff like I was laying in bed screaming with the headaches. I can't remember any of that kind of stuff. And the effect, as you said, on your parents and, and, and that kind of stuff. And one of the things that happened, so my dad's coming down from Scotland when he was uh, driving, uh, funny enough, American tourists around the highlands of Scotland on, on, on a road trip. And get back, my mum had one of the neighbours come over. He was a police officer to sit with her. She's having to sign the documents, crying and so on. And I had an operation on my brain. I've still got a scar on my head. I think I showed you in a pre-show before, about two, three inches long. I used to joke with the girls at work, but I'd press it with a finger and make my eye wink. It doesn't do that, really. But you'll freak the fuck out. And they literally drilled a hole in my skull and drew the blood off. And one of the things they had to do, so this is just how gory this stuff is, guys. And, and Justin's had all of this and more because I wasn't getting some of the symptoms Justin was having. Because they put a shunt in, which is essentially a drainage tube from the base of your skull down into my chest cavity, into my stomach. And that was basically pulling off all the crap produced as a result of this blood clot on the brain and post-op. And that was in there for quite a while. And I do recall the pain for that. That was a bitch. So, yeah, I've had an operation on my brain. On the video, one of the videos we did for the pre-show research for Justin, you can see images of the MRI and you can see the spaces in his brain, guys with the slice of the image that the MRI is, because it's essentially basically a bunch of sliced images that build up the whole thing. You can see the eyeballs, you can see the brain, and there are two black voids. These are the sections of brain that they took out of Justin. 
Fortunately, in my case, although I could make a joke about having parts of my brain removed, lets me do this podcast, guys. <laughs> it's, it's no joke. It is a serious, serious fucking operation. It was a huge deal for me when I was nine. I'm too young to appreciate it. It would have been a massive fucking deal for Justin at the time. And like I said, watch the video. It kind of almost offhandedly refers to it, but it is a massive, massive deal for a young, very young person to be dealing with. I mean, we're talking about Sifter Steve from the, the, on the treatments, as you said, lasted six years. He was 12 when he finished having a treatment. I, so he would have been six, basically. Six. I was nine. How, how, as you said already, Steve, how fucked up for his parents when you were six? When, you, when I was nine, I did not appreciate how fucking serious this fucking shit is. So I'd imagine the stress on the you don't know that your child's going to live. They're having major operations on the fucking brain, the kind of soul, the, 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 the operating system of the body. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a really, really big deal. If any of you guys, uh, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be on the cusp of this kind of stuff or about to become parents because we, the, the age profile will be 18 to 25. The 25 year olds are thinking about it. A couple of years down the road, guys, and you have a kid, trust me, this is about as serious as it can possible to fucking get. It will freak you the fuck out. I've touched wood, no, never had anything more. I think my, my daughter, um, and I wasn't there, her mum dealt with it, with a fractured forearm. That's about as serious as, as a medical condition as I've ever had to deal with with my daughter. To have to deal with this as a parent, Steve, oof, it's mind-numbing. Scary. Yeah, and one of the other things, too, uh, his dad had to deal with was when he was having a seizure, you know, he would um, basically just destroy everything in his room, and there'd be blood everywhere, and his dad would have to calm him down. It's all right, buddy. It's all right, buddy. So, yeah, really scary stuff, um, having to go through that. So, you don't – that's – yeah, that's a huge – you know, huge issue um, having a kid when they're sick and even more frustrating if, you know, you can't fix it because in this case, six years to fix it, you know, and that's, uh, that sucks. It's not something they can just get prescribed a medication or maybe even get a surgery. Boom, it's done. And then we can move on with life. No, this is six years of hell, then years of seizures to having to go through as well. So he's gone, he's gone through a lot of hell in his life. But one of the silver linings of this is when he was going through his cancer as a kid, he went through a camp and he met Peyton Manning because it was in Indianapolis. And I don't know who you know, if you know who Peyton Manning is, mobster. I don't know if you guys over there in Britain know. I've heard of him, yeah. Yeah. So he's, he, at the time, he was one of the, you know, top quarterbacks in the NFL, one or two top quarterbacks in the NFL. And he's considered one of the top, easily top 10, if not top five quarterbacks of all time. And um, Super Bowl winning quarterback, won two Super Bowls. So he didn't even know who he was when he met him. But just from meeting him, he realized, hey, I want to become a pro athlete one day. And that basically put that little fire in him to, to do that. So 
that's that kind of got things going in, in the, the right direction for him and gave one, him something to look quick. forward to. He gave him something to look forward to. Yeah, even going yeah. through one thing very quickly, Steve, and this is something that's important, guys. If you're ever in this position, listen to what we're saying right now with regards to Peyton Manning went to this camp to be an inspiration, to give something to these cancer survivors. So that right there is something you guys can do. The listeners, you might end up in some sort of position. It doesn't whether it's, it's kiddie baseball, kiddie basketball, whatever, right? And you end up in a position where you coach, or maybe you make it as an athlete, even if it's a small league stuff. You can do these kind of things. You don't have to be Peyton Manning to go off to the camp and give something back. But as Steve said, this is one of the potentially, arguably, Guys were arguing about this even now to Doomsday. But arguably one of the best quarterbacks of all time going to this camp to give back and to become an inspiration. So that right there, some guys, trust me on this. It's something you might be able to arrange. You might know someone like this that you can get to come to visit the kids. If you work with kids with, with what, do you, what do you call it in, in America, Steve, where I, I, you coach the little, the little league. And you can get a top athlete to come to Little League. You can get a recognised athlete. You can get somebody who's just big name in the town to come to your Little League and 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 inspire the, the, the Little League guys and to get them to, you know, up their game and whatever else. Trust me, it's a really, really big deal. So Peyton Manning did good here, and especially, obviously, because he's inspired Justin for life. Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's a big it's a big deal for sure. Uh, what this went through. So he loved also basketball and Michael Jordan was one of his inspirations and he actually wanted to be a pro NBA player, but he realized obviously due to his height and that he couldn't jump, <laughs> that it wasn't a logical goal. So um, unfortunately he did, he did play uh, college. He did play a uh, football in high school, but obviously he couldn't do it in, in college due to his health problems. And um, yeah, football, I'm not sure. And it's, you know, with his um, seizure issues with the head and stuff, I'm not sure it's a smart choice to play football in the first place. Yeah. But yeah, he, he had to pull out of that. But the good thing about weight training is no matter what situation you're in, you can weight train. Um, so weight training is open to everybody. Doesn't matter your, your gender, doesn't matter your health conditions. Anyone can weight train. If you do it safely, anyone can do it. Yes. So this is around the time where we started to get into bodybuilding magazines, started getting addicted to them and reading them. So between balancing his doctor's appointments, his surgeries, his medications, he started competing in regional shows. And this is what he's been doing over the past three years. And one of them, he competed in the 2019 NPC Western Michigan Championships. He placed, I believe he got fifth or sixth place in that one. So that's pretty damn good, considering this guy has gone through all these medical conditions. So today, though, he's much larger. And he's going to start, we're going to start seeing him going into some of these bigger competition the next couple of years and working his way up in the bodybuilding circuit. So we're gonna have to keep an eye on him to be that big at five foot eight. He's definitely a beast. So all he has to do is just cut down ahead of his competition, lean out, and he'll he'll really really look good. So, Momster, um, why don't you touch on that a little bit, and then kind of talk about his training a little bit? 
So, yeah, I mean, this is one of the things, guys. Uh, I, I was just having a chat with the girlfriend yesterday about uh, studies back in the day. I think Joe Weider was referring to these in his magazines where they went to old people's homes. You have a different name for them in the state, Steve, where they had uh, a bunch of these old, older people, basically 60 plus, just chained with baked bean tins. And they found that the muscles function tone whatever measure they were using the improvements were dramatic and there's like one or two pound tins in each hand uh, so it's I, the idea for example you know what what we see in the magazines the way that i might train the way i might talk about training on the forum it's there it doesn't have to be you know crazy crazy weights or whatever else and you can do this kind of stuff whether it's physio whether it's rehab and so on and so forth so something also funny enough watching one of the, the videos I think they said how he got into training or whatever else. He was he's, the words he used was exactly the words. I think I've been I've I recall that I've done in an interview before. One someone says, "How did you get into training?" I said, "I was in hospital, and I was being I was the, the ward I was on when I had this blood clot in the brain was adult men and me. I was the youngest person there, and these people were from all over the world. There was Americans, there was Canadians, there was, there was whatever because it was such a great hospital, and." They were giving me like uh, Marvel and DC comics, Steve. So that was an inspiration. I think I also started doing things like, and maybe it was because I was ill and whatever. So you kind of mentally go in the other direction. And this is what Justin kind of done, where because you're so frail, because you're so ill, because the medical condition is so severe, you kind of, your dream is the opposite. So he started drawing, and I think this is the phrase that stuck in my mind, Bubble like men, basically the bubbles representing the muscles. So you're essentially drawing, in, in Justin's case and in my case, a Superman type person, a comic book superhero. And that's probably the opposite of how you feel and how you're perceived and whatever else is going on. So I kind of get that. But obviously what we're talking about here in, in kind of both the examples is that we've become in our own way, and Justin especially to look at more than myself, Superman-like in his physique, he's become, he's gone from his dad holding him on the ground so that he's not smashing the furniture up, as Steve says, while he fits and his muscles are spasming and his brain's going, you know, 100 miles an hour and, you know, and try not to injure, you know, let his son get injured to, and having his treatments and having to go through all this stuff to a Superman-like physique, a, a, a Herculean, a, a, a something cartoon-like in terms of this, the, the way that he's gone in that particular direction. And like I said, what Steve said is true. This is the thing that you can have from any level, whether it's a one pound dumbbell to a 200 pound dumbbell for curls, you know, whether it's just being able to press the bar and stuff like this. And, and what's really, really cool, Steve, is how inspiring it is for us. And something I, Steve and I talked about in a pre-show, I told him a story about two disabled guys, athletes that we coached together uh, in, in Gloucester. And, you know, uh, one of them couldn't control his uh, bladder, but would come to the gym and I would, I would help him on the bench press. He only had uh, half a leg, uh, both the other, the, from the knee down, one was cut off and the other one had been cut off at the hip. And yet him and his buddy would both come there when they were playing for the local disabled basketball team. It's one of those no excuse type situations. You can be as frail, to put it crudely, as fucked up as it's possible to be, and you can still move the bar, even if the bar is just a fucking one pound broomstick. There's something you can do. And what we've seen in a lot of these kind of medical conditions, 
on, on, on my um, Facebook, there's a forget, he's something, something Drew, and he's uh, very, very famous. Uh, he's got one of those electric wheelchairs that lifts you up, and moves you around, and pivots it else with a joystick and whatever else. And some of the videos you've seen, he's like a 10 pound dumbbell, and he's shaking like a motherfucking shitting dog, and he's pressing it. And uh, he's been invited to big basketball games and what else, and he's become an inspiration for other athletes. For the, when he goes to the basketball teams, he's an inspiration for the guys on the court because he's still trying to do his shit. He's still going to the gym. He's still trying to throw the ball. He's still trying to put the ball in the basket. They invite him, you know, as a warm up to the games to inspire the athletes because you can be having a hard day. You can be having a you know, you're struggling with stuff at home and the bills are not getting paid and the girlfriend's getting on your tits. And there's this guy coming out and, you know, if, he, if the fucking batteries on his chair ain't charged, he ain't going nowhere. And 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 and, and he's got his shit. He's literally got someone that has to lift him out of the chair and put him on the fucking toilet. And you're moaning a bitch about your stuff. So these guys, Justin included, end up becoming inspirations because they've overcome so fucking much. And just without becoming Superman, just to be able to curl a bar, just to be able to press a bar, just to be able to do one plate on a machine or whatever is amazing. And you go in there and you instead of moaning and bitching about your shit, whatever you go, that guy's struggled just to get here to the gym today and managed to, you're having to lift him out of his chair and, and put him in the seat on a leg press, for example, Steve. And he's only doing one fucking plate on the stack. But that is a huge thing for him and it becomes motivating for you because what's your excuse so justin just being able to curl away just being able to press just being able to use the plate on the machine or whatever else is a big fucking deal and 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 it just puts what we do and what we struggle with and our moaning and bitching about weights and stuff in the gym in the perspective i want to get more in, in, into that specifically we have other examples in a minute but i mean in terms of his training something that stood out right and again, it kind of, it makes a bit more of a mention with your fan way that he tells the rest of his story. But I think he talks about one of the people that he hooked up to do training with in the gym because there was a discussion about whether or not many people in gym could do 500-pound bench press. And he's done a 500-pound bench press. And he talks about pausing it on his chest, Steve, kind of almost showing off to this fella that ended up being his training buddy before pushing it back up and racking it. I've never benched 500 fucking pounds. He's had an operation on his brain. He's had seizures. He's had fucking leukemia. And the man benches 500 pounds. He's a beast. A beast, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we're doing the podcast about him. A lot, a lot of people will be like, who's this guy? But, you know, he is definitely um, a true inspiration. Going through all he went through, I think, ended up helping him. Yeah. Because if he wouldn't have went all through this, I don't think he would be this – motivated and this motivating to other people so he's definitely has a really really good story for sure so one of the things you know that you know i've talked about and you guys will see it in the article if you read the article on justice slates that i put together is where i talk about you know his story makes you appreciate what you got i used to when i used to compete you know i competed you know as a power lifter everyone knows that but also you may not know i competed as well and as an endurance athlete and i would travel and i would do you know uh, i would travel races and stuff like that i do triathlons um i didn't get an opportunity to go to hawaii to do the iron man 
um, that was a little outside of my my budget. Um, you know, do something like that. You need sponsors, obviously. And um, I didn't pursue that at the time. But when I would travel, when I would travel to these road races, some of the people that I would see on the road races were very inspirational. I'd see people with one leg running these races. And, um, you know, you'd be sitting there at the finish line and cheering, you know, cheering one through. And they'd be coming through on one leg. It's like, what the hell? You know, one leg, one arm, um, all kinds of, you know, issues, handicaps, and they're still going through. They're not complaining. So it's just those are things like that that really um, – I still remember that. I still remember seeing that one, that person coming through on, on one leg. Uh, it just it just season. it just boggles the mind um the, the things you see that you're going to see in life. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's an inspiring guys as an example I, I remember sharing a video on my facebook page some years ago and it was from a sort of tough mudder type event you know where you got the assault course and you're going around doing a wet rust and this guy was he'd put on some sort of uh gas mask just to make it fucking harder steve it's one of those, oh, my God, you almost have a fucking tear in your eye, right? And you share it because he's got he's, he's got no fucking legs. He's just got this, this kind of, like, environment suit thing going on. I can't remember. Probably because of the fucking mud and stuff that he was going to be dealing with. And and the, the, and the, and the, the mask was probably as much of stopping him fucking drowning and getting shit in his fucking face as it was to make the whole thing breathing that much harder. And... I watched even more recently was a similar type of video where a, 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 a man turns up with his son and his son's in his chair and it kind of helps him out the chair and puts him onto one of those slopes that's kind of skateboard type fucking apparatus. You've got to run up it to get the rope and then you pull yourself up on the rope and up and over the wall. And it's the first part is just literally running up this slippery slope. So some people fall ass over it and they slide back down. And again, this guy is, you know, I think it's one leg. He's in a chair, so it's not really a functional leg anyway. The other one's been cut off or lost or something because of the medical treatment. And the boy's hardly got any muscle sign and he's kind of crawling on this thing. And what was really, really cool is bearing in mind that everybody's there to challenge themselves and see what they can do. And there's only going to be one fucking winner, right? So, you know, everybody gets a fucking medal, right? So there's no great prize if you come last or whatever. And they all stopped and kind of two or three people got off the wall and got behind him. And they would kind of push, get, one person would push him and then someone would be on pushing them so they could push him up to where the rope was. And then someone was hanging off the wall, helping with the rope so they could get this disabled guy onto the rope. And then someone, then two guys were on top of the wall and they were pulling the disabled guy up on a, and fuck me blind. It was five fucking minutes just for this one part of the assault course. But every fucking is like, my, what is my story? Fuck my story. What's his story? Let, let's make the day, the thing that we're doing right now, the best thing that we could do right now is to help him to do his thing because, you know, I'm just struggling with the wall. It's a, it's a high wall. I'm out of breath. Uh, and I've got to run the rest of the assault. This guy is just his fucking one, the first, literally the first 20 or 30 feet of the assault course. He's never going to get over that wall if we don't open. So like three or four people pushing behind, two or three people pulling him up other people putting him over the other side and all that kind of stuff. That was all that there was of the video. It was just literally that first stage event, Steve. So it's one of those things, again, where, um, and this was the thing I was going to, I said in the pre-show, guys, there's always going to be, and I'll do this again at the end, Steve, as well. There's always going to be shit to deal with. Always. Sometimes your life's fucking amazing and everything's going on 100 miles an hour. 
and sometimes it isn't. And there are going to be a million distractions and bills and stress and aggravation or whatever else, right? Sometimes you're going to have your shoulders giving you shit, your elbow tendonitis is flaring up. And we, we, moan, we moan and bitch about that stuff because we're it's like we're like, yesterday was fucking great, today was, today was fucking off. I've moaned about having shit training sessions and then someone stayed on my one of my training logs, your worst day's training would be my best day's training. So it's comparative. So comparative here is we're moaning and groaning about an elbow or shoulder, whatever else. We haven't had seizures. <laughs> we haven't had brain operations. We haven't had cancer when we were a kid. We didn't have to go through six years of fucking therapy. We haven't had fucking limbs cut off. We're not in a chair 24-7. Our shit's nothing. It's fuck all. It is the tiny, tiniest thing. Why does my shoulder ache? Because I push heavy weights. Well, stop pushing heavy weights then, you moaning bitch. Start doing rehab. Start doing rotator cuff stuff. Go off and do some yoga. Go and do some stretching. Your life's fucking imagine it's it's on a level above, multiple levels above where it could be when it's stuff like this. So, and again, Justin almost doesn't see it. The way that he tells the story is almost, uh, I should just tell you what's going on. It's almost inconsequential. But in reality, he is an inspiring individual and it makes your moaning about um, aches and pains and I couldn't get my favorite chicken breast from the organic store. Shut the fuck up, you whingy bitch. Just get your shit done. What is your excuse? 99% of our stuff that we moan about, guys, is things that we made happen to ourselves. You didn't leave enough time to go to the right store to get the right fucking food. What up? Who's, who's on that one? The traffic was heavy. Who's that one? Leave earlier. Get it fucking delivered. Don't come up. Don't tell me your bollocks, right? When guys like this are just lucky to be alive and lucky that, you know, that, that, that he's probably got scars on him from when he was smashing into the furniture having those seizures. There's probably a few nicks and scars on his on the skull, on his skin, on his head, just from stuff that he was crashing into and when he was banging his head on the floor when he was having seizures. I've seen people have seizures and that's, that's you're freshening around. It's foaming at the mouth, man. Try not to choke on your own tongue. And this was multiple times. This is not once. It was like a hundred fucking times. It's, it's, what we moan about, the things that we bitch about, the, the women that we complain about, it's nothing. It's tiny. These are, this, is, this puts what you're moaning and bitching and you're complaining about and your lack of perfect, a perfect life into perspective. Trust me. This, this, if we do a podcast this month, Steve, this should be number fucking one for the value of, and the sense that it will give you where you could be if you want to be versus where you are and where you could have been if you was in this man's shoes because where he could have been where he should be could be dead never mind anything else could be fucked if the surgery hadn't gone right on his brain could be, it could be in a wheelchair it could be paralyzed there's a ton of reasons why he shouldn't be here yet he is and to have to deal with that at such a young age as well steve it's it's it, it, it overshadows any of your moaning bollocks, guys. It really, really does. Let's get into um, what he's probably doing now, Steve, in order to become the bodybuilder that he is. 
Yeah, and uh, steroids are going to play an equation, definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, at his size, um, it's going to it's going to be something in the, that's a necessity, even at the regional level. Um, mm-hmm. You know, getting placing as high as he did at the regional level, it's going to be necessary. So I think for him, it's reasonable to say AIU's of HGH would be something he would use. And um, I think with the HGH, it's definitely it actually have some health benefits for him, maybe not at this level, but I think HGH, daily HGH would have some benefits for him overall when it comes to the way his body is. So, but when you start jacking up the dose up to eight IUs, then no, I mean, the health benefits kind of wean off and it becomes more of an abusive thing. But I think when it comes to competing at that level, that's probably how much he's going to, he's going to mess around with. And then he'll drop it back down to two or two, three IUs regularly. What do you think? I want to jump in here very, very quickly, Stephen. So we discussed this off here, as you know, um, and I kind of agree, but disagree because everything else that we're going to talk about is kind of almost hundred percent given. It really is to, to be where he is and to be where we think he's going. But the HGH is kind of an issue because I would really want to, <clears throat> I would tread very, very carefully unless I was 100% confident that he had no further potential for cancer. So here's, here's the issue, guys. HGH in and of itself, when you've got no, no pre-existing uh, medical issues of cancer, so nothing, you're not suffering from cancer right now, and there's no uh, arguable issues with cancer in the family genetically, so one person can have it, but you're, no one else has got it. Whereas if you go, oh, my auntie had it and my mum had it and, and this person had it, then, then arguably there's a family history. So the family history, arguable pre, predisposition for the genetic likelihood of you having cancer and growth hormone is not a good mix. And what I'm, I made a note to the point where I said, growth hormone, any GH-like peptides and arguably any myostatin-type products, inhib- inhibitor-type products, I would want to minimize the use of. Now, there's a problem here because in order for him to be a great bodybuilder, in order for him to, to be that next level stuff that we're arguing potentially he could be in a very short time, part of the reason also for us doing him today is a one to watch for the future. You can't almost got to put growth hormone in the mix, but I would want to minimize its use as much as possible. And I would want to be very, very careful. I mean, you know what, Steve, if I was his coach, I'd almost want to get him to go and see a specialist doctor and have that doctor say, listen, there's no more cancer cells. We test him every fucking year. The moment anything comes along, you stop the growth hormone, that kind of stuff. It's almost like you can't come and be coached by me unless you've got a script permission from your doctor to use growth hormone. That's how important I think this kind of thing is. And it's one of those things where the HGH, if you've got no predisposition for, for cancer, it's not really a problem. It really isn't. Because if it was, the amount of people that use growth hormone in bodybuilding would be a shitload of cancer. In it. We're not seeing that. However, if you do have it, then the risk is that much higher. How much of a factor higher is one of those things that someone who's an expert in human growth hormone could argue and, 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 and Guys, we welcome that kind of input from you, either uh, in response to comments on, on these podcasts or, or, or on the forum, by all means. 
input on that kind of stuff is very important. And if you can offer that kind of advice and help to others, by all means do so. But for me, again, without that particular expertise and expert knowledge that we want, I'd almost want to go say, let's go and talk to a cancer doctor, someone that you've been, been with before. I want to know what the symptoms are. I know what the issues are. I know what the likelihood is. And if I put you on growth hormone, especially as Steve says, of a, of a certain level, I want to know. I want to know that you're safe. Uh, it's, oh, oh, use of PEDs comes with certain inherent risk, but the inherent risk here, arguably, potentially, is a little bit higher. The rest of the drugs, Steve, I'm kind of final. Fuck it. But the growth hormone peptides and myostatin-type products, I would want, if I could, to get the doctor to say, yeah, he's okay, be fine. Uh, in fact, that would be the ideal situation normally anyway, but we don't normally talk about that, but specifically in this particular set of circumstances. So let's continue. Uh, besides that, we've got the androgens, we've got the DHT derivatives, we have the mild compounds, and they all stack together. So a couple androgens in here, trembolone and testosterone, um, 800 milligrams to trembolone a week, 600 milligrams of testosterone a week. I think those are reasonable dosages for someone yeah. in a situation. And the trembolone is going to help really take things to the next level in terms of size. And, uh, and then the testosterone is, is thrown in there as well. So with the testosterone in there, you know, he's going to also need some DHT derivatives, kind of dry himself down. That's why Anavar and Winstrol are in here, 100 milligrams a day of each. I think those are those are going to be something that these guys love. Um, we did the uh, podcast on, what was it, Chris Dick? What, who was the podcast we just did on uh, on Peterson, right? Where uh, we yeah, saw George. the autopsy and George Peterson who had passed away. And one of the compounds that was in his system was Winstrol. So yeah. we know these guys are using Winstrol. And uh, Winstrol is definitely something that's great at drying you out. So the Anavar yes. hardens you, the Winstrol dries you out. And then the Masteron as well, 1,000 milligrams a week wouldn't be unreasonable to think he'd run 1,000 milligrams a week to harden himself up for sure, get the vascularity going and stuff. At the end of the day, if you saw the pictures of Justin, um, some of his pictures, he does look a little too bloated, a little too big. I think he went a little far when it came to, you know, bulking, trying to get size, he really has really, really high expectations. As he said, and as we talked about, ever since he met Peyton Manning, his goal has been to be a pro body builder. So that's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to be just some guy who's a weekend warrior bodybuilder who does just some regional shows and, you know, has fun, you know, uh, on a Saturday night in front of his family. No, he wants to be a pro bodybuilder. He has big expectations. He wants to be a pro NBA player. He knows he doesn't have the genetics for that. He knows it's not going to happen. He wanted to be a pro NFL player. He knows he can't, he can't do that, obviously, with his brain issue. So with this, this is his one chance to be a pro bodybuilder. He's going to use what he needs to use for that purpose. So chime in on that mobster and finish out um, your final thoughts on his cycle and then take us into the disclaimer. Yeah, so one of the things that he mentions that we, we've put in the article, but we, we, we kind of skipped over a little bit earlier on, guys, is that he's actually started to up his cardio since he started working with Justin Harris. And I, I one of the comments I made a note of was a lot of the top guys and a lot of the would-be top guys, are, they have to be coachable. Uh, they have to be able to take advice. And uh, he says he credits getting leaner 
as a result of increasing the amount of cardio that he was doing, specifically morning fasted cardio. So what we should see, especially with Justin Harris working with him, is an improved look to his physique. I don't think there's the argument, Steve, that maybe till now he's actually kind of playing it safe in terms of pushing himself uh, when it comes to PEDs. Purely and simply as, as a reason, you know, for being medically okay. Uh, guys, and it's been said before, we're not, we won't, we're not the first podcast to say this. Being in condition on stage and some of the things that people do to be getting in condition on stage is not healthy. You are, are you can be out of breath, you can feel uncomfortable, you can feel you're depleted. There's a million things going on. And whether it's pro Olympians taking oxygen backstage behind the curtain, whether it's needing the sip water for the whole day on stage, literally going off stage, whether sip water coming back on stage and so on. To, to be that ripped, to be that dry, to be in that kind of condition isn't healthy. And this is a potential thing that perhaps Justin is, in his own particular way, playing it safe. So they don't get too lean, too, too crazy, too uncomfortable, too unhealthy because of the pre-existing medical conditions. So taking it slow is probably the right approach. Working with someone like Justin, hopefully... It's a sensible approach to getting in condition slowly but surely and getting leaner. So, so you're only ultimately super ripped, super lean on that one day of the competition that really matters and doing it in a way that is as arguably as safe as possible without pushing it, like I said, whether it's growth hormone or growth hormone peptides, black peptides and so on and so forth. So any of those particular things that he needs to be careful with, you know, for example, as we said earlier, when using super low doses, et cetera. The rest of the cycle that Steve describes is exactly what we would expect to see of an athlete making his way up. The numbers could be increased, not because they have to be, but because you typically see them increased for guys that are just about to take the next step up as Justin is. So, for example, the Trimbalone is almost reasonable. The testosterone is on point. 600 milligrams a week seems to be on point. The Anivine Winstrol is fine. Uh, the Masteron certainly something that he would use to harden up the competition, Stephen. And again, the 500 milligrams a week of equipoise. Guys, you'll probably see different numbers adjusted by some athletes. This is what's working for Justin right now. Wherever he needs to make some small adjustments in order to improve and get that show-ready, competition-ready kind of look, that's going to take him a little bit to the next level again. Or whether perfectly, and this appears to be the case already, just doing more conduct cardio, just doing more fasted cardio, just doing more daily stuff to burn those little bits and pieces off without having to over-rely on those particular drugs is always going to be a part of bodybuilding. I don't think that's going to kind of go away. But for Justin, again, I would want to have someone on side in terms of a medical professional. Maybe if he was under, for example, if I was sponsoring him, Stephen, I was a big sponsored company, I'd probably want most of my athletes to go and see someone once a year, get checked out for the blood, blood blood pressure, heart, and so on and so forth. Justin, I'd probably want to get my done more frequently. And just because I, would, I, I wouldn't I would want to put him in a position by pressuring him to do well in competitions or by perhaps competing multiple times per year. And, and, and at the same time, the risk factors have become that much higher. Now, this is the thing, guys, and it's one of those bits of advice again, right? Sometimes, and we've seen this a few times on the forum, Steve, there are guys that talk about, and they're women too, like they don't give a fuck. Live fast, die young. Right. So the idea is supposedly going to do shitloads of trend, shitloads of DMP, do this, do that, do the other, take insulin. Uh, I'm going to use the mindset, all the fucking risk factors through the roof, so long as they look fucking good. And then if they die when they're 35, great. Don't give a fuck. In reality, 
because we've seen it multiple times, you might get one in a hundred that fucks up. The other 99 kind of wear themselves out, but they make it past 35 and their attitude changes. And these are guys with none of the existing issues that Justin's had to deal with in his life, or for that matter, any of the other people that we spoke about. So you go, guys, we want you to achieve your target. We want you to be ripped if that's your thing. We want to be strong if that's your thing. We want you to win the fucking competitions you do, whether it's a Tough Mudder, whether it's MMA, whether it's a tip-top Mr. Olympia-level bodybuilding competition. We want you to get there. We want you to be as big, as muscular, as lean, whatever, as it's possible to be. And our forums, the advice we give on this podcast is all about putting you in those particular places and showing you for examples, by talking about other athletes, how it's done. But we want you to be healthy too, as much as it's possible to be healthy. So when you've had the stuff that Justin's had, I would want to keep an eye on those things. Equally, and this is the flip side, before I go into the disclaimer, Steve, we touched on it earlier on in the podcast. I will repeat it again. Your excuse is invalid. The stuff, you, guys, I've got, I, I, Steve, we've, so for the excuse, like, I couldn't go to the gym today because it was raining, but you fucking drive to the gym, Steve. You get there, you've got a fucking coat on, and you couldn't work out today because it was raining. Your excuse is invalid. You've got guys that go to the gym in their fucking car just to do walk on the, on the running machine. Why didn't you fucking walk to the fucking gym? Your excuse is invalid. you got guys, like I said already, with no fucking legs or one and a half legs or half a fucking leg with prostate and, and bladder problems, flipping tires in my yard in Gloucester. Your excuse is invalid. you got guys whose dad is how to lift them out of the fucking wheelchair to put them on the ramp at the beginning of an assault course and everybody else on the assault course has had to stop and help this person. Your excuse is invalid. Your wife is getting on your tits. Your excuse is invalid. You couldn't get to the shops in time to get your favourite protein shake. Your excuse is invalid. You haven't had fits. You haven't had seizures. You haven't had a brain operation. Your fucking excuse is invalid. Be inspired by people like Peyton Manning and by Justin. Go to the gym with no fucking bullshit excuses. Moan and bitch to yourself under your breath that your, your excuse is invalid. If it then motivates you to do another rep because it fucking hurts, your excuse is invalid. Do another rep. What are you moaning about? You've got a 55, you've got a big screen TV at home, you've got a great hi-fi, you've got a great car, a great wife, a great house. Your excuse is invalid. What are you moaning about, guys? Your life is fucking awesome. Your medical insurance is covered. Don't have an invalid excuse. Get in there, smash it. Get it done. Organize your shit. Get up early to go to study. Get up early to fucking do your, your fasted cardio. Get up early to prepare your food. Go to bed early if you need to. Don't tell me about your invalid excuses. As always, please note, we are doctors and the opinions on these shows are hours and hours alone. It's our view and based on our experience and views on the topic. A podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only the freedom of speech and the first amendment.